right, good morning, everybody. If I could call your attention up front for the reading of God's word. All right, so please remain standing as we read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 28. And if you have the, the blue pew Bibles, it's on page 574. All right, so we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So I have the great pleasure this morning of introducing Dr. Paul Dean. He currently serves as the executive director of the Soma family of churches. So it's 80 churches nationwide, or worldwide, worldwide. Um, before that, he was the lead pastor at Soma Eastside, which we got to plant together back in 2005, served faithfully there for 17 years. And he is, let's see, in that role now, as he's helping out amongst all those different churches, he, uh, he's also been helping us along the way, too. So um, he was part of the uh, assessment team for Justin Anderson, assessing him as a church planner before uh, we got started as ICON. And then Soma Eastside has been uh, financially supporting us in the beginning and then praying for us along the way. So he's been helping us from, since the very beginning. Um, it's also the, the doctor in his, in his name is a PhD in history. He authored a book on uh, World War I called Courage, and he is a dear brother and, and friend. Uh, we go all the way back to when I was a brand new Christian in my senior year of college, and he was leading the Fellowship of Christian Athletes chapter at Washington State. So he's a dear friend and brother, so I'm excited to uh, get you all get to learn from him a little bit the way that I've been blessed to learn from him throughout the years. So Dr. Paul Dean. Thank you, Craig. What a pleasure to see you all face-to-face. -face. Uh, I wanted to greet you this morning on behalf of the Soma family of churches, uh, churches from Tokyo to Sierra Leone, from Eastern Europe to Southern Mexico to uh, New Jersey, really, I mean, a church right there on the Jersey Shore, all the way to Seattle, and uh, just greetings, blessings upon you. 
I know that you have had a, a rough last several years. Uh, maybe the most difficult thing a church can go through is leadership transition, and you guys have, have got to go through a couple of those. So just may God bless you as you continue to walk faithfully through difficulty, serving Jesus and seeing his mission and his kingdom advance uh, in Seattle. Just pray for peace uh, for all of you. As Craig said, I'm the executive director for SOMA, and that is a super, super fancy title, but the key, uh, I think the key, some of the key missions that I'm focusing on for the next five years is, is helping develop missionaries and church planters to reach the millennials and Gen Z, which as if you keep up with religious statistics, you see the millennials and Gen Z uh, are increasingly going from being religiously affiliated by family or by tradition to being religiously unaffiliated in, in huge numbers. And so we were just praying through how do we, how do we reach them? Over 50% of them, despite the fact that they're starting to, to, to mark none on their religious surveys, over 50% of them are very interested in Jesus. But they often don't have any desire to come into a, a beautiful warm church building like this, they're much easier reached through individual hospitality and deep relationships and mature mentors. And so that's one of, a, one of the missions that we have is SOMA in this next chapter to reach them. And the other focus that I have in the next five years is to focus on really caring for Christian leaders because the last five years have been brutal. By some statistics, 40% of all Christian leaders that you often call pastor, uh, if they had any other job opportunity, they would take it. That's how tired, that's how burned out they are. So please pray for me. And if God has given you a heart for either of those things and you, just, you wanna be on my text prayer team, just ask me. Uh, ask me after the service, be happy to, to just let you know um, where I'm going. Uh, matter of fact, I, I sent out a, a prayer request to uh, the people that support me this week, just saying I'm gonna be at, uh, I'm gonna be at Icon Church, I'm gonna be at a church in Walla Walla over the next two weeks. Would you just pray that I could be an encouragement to them? So if you'd like to be part of that, I'd be happy to, to include you on that. This morning we're gonna talk about Revival's Call. And I'm gonna start in 1740 in New England. And if you were in, in the colonies in 1740 in New England, and you picked up a newspaper, which was a brand new, uh, it, was, it, was a, it was the internet, I suppose, of the day, or maybe even something more uh, fascinating and, and innovative than that in the 1740s. But any time you picked up a newspaper in the 1740s, you were hearing about this guy named George Whitfield. And they often called him Old Squinty Eye because his eyes were literally crossed. And he was, a, he was in his young 20s, and he had an absolutely booming voice. And he also, everywhere George went, things happened. Turned upside down, lit on fire, churches planted, uh, uh, awakening happened everywhere he went. But even before he got to the colonies, things started mm, shaking up. He... He was in England, 
He had a fiance. He had recently come to faith. He had been trained. And he, he couldn't find churches to, to preach in, so he just went from park to park to place to place, sometimes walking mile after mile after mile to go to the next place. But everywhere he went, people converted. And so uh, in the midst of this, God called him from England to this new place called Georgia. And so as he was preparing to go to Georgia, when he got on the ship, he prayed a prayer of dedication even before he got on that ship. And he said, I am going to know nothing on this ship. I am going to talk about nothing on this ship except for Christ and him crucified. So Whitfield gets on this ship, and as he writes in his journals, he said, the only thing being talked about on this ship when I got on was cards and various uh, obscene topics described with curse words and swearing. And so he gets on this ship full of sailors, and he begins to give away food and give away medicine. And morning and evening, you would find him at a distinct and noticeable part of the ship praying and reading the Bible out loud. By day four, he had attracted enough attention that he began a catechism class. He began to just teach people through questions and answers, essential parts of the faith. And so by day four, there are six or seven soldiers. By day 11 through 20, that number had doubled and tripled, and he began to take that little sailor congregation through what the Lord's Prayer was and what it meant. And then he would preach several times a day. He would pray continuously. He would personally visit and check on little members of his sailor congregation. And he began talking to these sailors not only about the Lord's Prayer and about the gospel, but about righteousness, about temperance, about judgment to come. And he steadily gained goodwill on board. There was daily catechism class for women that were on the ship, then added a Bible study. An assistant of his begins kids' ministry. He arranged to talk for the captain and the officers. Next, he formed a choir on board. By the time they got to Gibraltar, and I know you're thinking, okay, England to Georgia doesn't go through Gibraltar, but it did on this trip. Went down to Gibraltar, then they were going to go over to Georgia. By the time they got to Gibraltar, the people on that tiny peninsula, just south of Spain, were so shocked because the crew had been to Gibraltar seven weeks previous. And the last time they were in Gibraltar, they were drunk, they were brawlers, they were offensive, they were an absolute menace. Now when they came, well, even before they got to shore in Gibraltar, they watched these soldiers in the morning get together in a group. They said it was like seeing children lined up, and they all said their catechism together. Instead of cursing and telling lewd jokes, they were sitting on the dock when they got off the boat reading their Bibles, and they attended morning and evening services. And after several days in Gibraltar, they got back on the boat, and they came to Whitfield weeping and bringing gifts, telling him over and over, 
you have changed our hearts and you have changed our lives. So by the time that Whitfield gets to the colony, there is just these rumors and these talks about this, this group of absolutely depraved sailors who are now acting like church kids. And reports from, are, begin to circulate when Whitfield is coming. And maybe my favorite story about Whitfield and the colonies is when he came to Philadelphia. And this was recorded by old Ben Franklin. And Ben Franklin writes in his journal that George Whitfield was coming to town and, that's, and everybody was dropping everything they were doing and not going to work because they were going to go to hear him and he decides he wants to go and see. And so he's talking about this with his fellow skeptic, deistic friends and they said, don't bring any money. He said, why shouldn't I bring money? He said, well, he's the most compelling speaker anybody's ever heard and he also, at the end of his talks, gives a opportunity for everyone to give money towards these orphanages that he's starting to care for the, the orphans of the Seven Years' War or the, the French and Indian War. And so Brent Franklin goes without his money sack, and he goes and he, and he hears Whitfield and his booming voice, and he decides to do a scientific experiment. And by the end of his scientific experiment, he, he writes in his journal that he can hear George Whitfield from five city blocks away. He estimates that there is 25,000 people in that crowd. And as he listens and as he does his scientific information, he becomes more and more and more convicted in spirit that he is greedy and selfish and that he should give his money to this orphanage, and he, but he hasn't brought any money with him, so he just goes from person to person to person so he can borrow money and give to the orphanage. But by the end of this awakening, there have been hundreds of churches planted. And the United States is so changed that Georgia turns from a place that is known for its, well, being pagan, to being a place of being known for church after church after church after church. Revival. Spirit on the move. And the story I just told you is a typical revival story. The Great Awakening was a major movement. But at its essence, and this is what I want to talk about today, at its essence, revival is simply listening to and obeying the Spirit. And this experience can happen anytime, anywhere, maybe even Seattle. So Craig read the passage for us this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and it's not an unusual end of a letter for Paul. Often, Paul will tell them the gospel and then give them very careful instructions on what it looks like to live out the gospel. And so before the passage that Craig read, Paul writes to the Thessalonians and reminds them of the power of the gospel. And then he says, this is what it looks like. And then he reminds them again of the power of the gospel. And so I want to read it one more time for you, and then I'm going to give you three points, tell you another story or two, and then give you an opportunity to respond. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor. So, so Paul has 
reminding them of the gospel that they are not destined for wrath, but they are destined for salvation because of the work of Christ. And then he says, now I want you to build each other up. I want you to live out this beautiful gospel in, in everyday activity. So I want you to, to see that revival, that listening to and obeying the Holy Spirit is very, very practical. So he starts off, he says, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves and we urge you Brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So first point, revival begins when we respond to the Spirit by respect and honor and love towards each other. Revival begins when we respond to the Spirit by respect and honor and love to each other. As I think about revivals, as I think about the revival in the Mediterranean with Paul, as I think about revivals in Europe through people like Boniface or Patrick, when I think about revivals in America through Whitfield, Bacchus, Moody, Graham, one of the things that's common with all these is it changes how we treat each other. Is there anything more powerful than a community that treats each other with respect, honor, love, forgiveness? Revival affects just how we treat each other. Wouldn't it be beautiful in America? Wouldn't it be beautiful in Washington? Wouldn't it be marvelous in Seattle if we treat each other with respect and honor and love and forgiveness? Wouldn't that, be a, wouldn't that be a beautiful thing if Icon was known for respect and honor and love for each other? That's where revivals start. That's where revivals get their power I've already said it, but leading is tough. It's so hard right now, 40% of Christian leaders are really looking for an exit. It is, I just want to encourage you and exhort you, that the leaders among you, that you respect them. You tell them thank you often. You remind them that you love them, and that you see them working in a very difficult line of work. They may look strong, they may look like they have it all together, but they desperately need your encouragement. That encouragement comes maybe in, a, in an email or a text or a hand on the shoulder and, and look in the eye saying, I love you, thank you for doing, for leading, for recruiting volunteers, for caring for people, for preaching the word for organizing the community, for reconciling people that are having difficulty. And it's beautiful, you know, the, the passage just goes through and, and describes that, and I mean, not only respecting your leaders, but also to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, and to make sure no one repays evil for evil. 
I look out on a crowd, and, and I, I've talked to several of you this morning about, you know, how long you've been here, and several of you said, you know, I've been here a while. You know, they, several people have been here BP before the pandemic, and they, and I know that as you go through difficulties, it is so easy to hurt each other. Amen? I mean, have you, have you felt it? So easy to miscommunicate. Paul knows this. It was like this in Thessalonica as well. And he says, don't repay evil for evil. You know, when we get hurt, the, just the natural thing is, you know, the anger comes up is, is to, instead of just saying, man, that really hurt me, to just want to just respond to that hurt with more hurt. It's interesting just to think, think through our, our culture is, is so quick to cancel and to condemn and to see something, see a structure that has hurt them, and they just want to burn it down. But you see here from Paul's words, not return evil for evil. And even if you go up a couple verses, you'll say, Paul says, I want you to build each other up. Revival starts when we respect, honor, and love each other. Second, revival begins when we respond to the Spirit by walking with Him. I have some beautiful instructions in this passage. It says rejoice. Rejoice always. And I think a great way to describe that is to simply focus on the fact that you are loved, you are pursued, and you are held by God. God is not going to let you go. And I think revival comes when you realize that you are loved, that you are pursued, that you are held. The instructions says rejoice each other. It says pray without ceasing, which, which is just, to me, another beautiful way of just saying keep walking with the Spirit. Keep communing. Keep not just talk to the Spirit, but listen to the Spirit. Pray without ceasing. The other instruction is to, is to give thanks Oh, the power of gratitude. Remembering what Jesus has done for us. Then then there's there's this crazy saying. This crazy little sentence. It says, don't quench the spirit. I don't know how many of you even use quench uh, in a sentence regularly. But the ESV, or the extra stilted version, uses this beautiful word, quench. It just, it's like taking a bucket and throwing it on a small fire. Poof. Quenched. Extinguished. And my thought is, can you even do that? Could you possibly put out the fire of the Spirit? Well, you look through several passages, several examples. Stephen's sermon in Acts 7, he, he reprimands the, the Jewish listeners for resisting the Spirit. Elsewhere in the New Testament, you'll hear authors say things like, don't grieve the Spirit. As you think through revivals, how they happen, it's God works in one person's heart and they become 
a little fire. And that fire spreads to the next person and the next person and the next person and the next person as they respond to the Spirit, as they listen to the Spirit, as they obey the Spirit. You quench the Spirit when you resist Him. When the Spirit comes to you and says, I want you to change this part of your life because it doesn't reflect the gospel, and you say, no, that's off limits. You quench the Spirit. You quench the Spirit when you stop listening to how he is directing you. When he tells you, I want you to forgive this person, you say, no. When you hear the word of God preached and the spirit brings something to mind, you need to repent of that and you say, no. Don't put the light out. Keep the fire in your heart alive person to person to person. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but disobeying God is contagious. And obeying God is also contagious. That's how revivals spread from person to person to person to person. Brothers and sisters, don't quench the spirit. Revivals begin when we respect honor and love each other, revivals continue as we respond to the Spirit and walk with Him. Third and finally, revivals begin when we respond to the Spirit by complete devotion. In verse 23 through 26, it says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That's just that process. Sanctification is just that process of becoming more and more and more like your Savior. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. So the question for us is, is our heart completely his? Are we devoted Revivals begin when people are devoted, when person after person after person after person responds yes to the invitation of the Spirit and we become completely devoted. I don't know if you can think back to that first moment when you were completely His. It's about 24 years ago for me. Is that right? 24? No. 34. I am 50 years old which used to seem really old. 34 years ago, I realized I wasn't killing it. The Bible, to me, was dull. I grew up Baptist. I don't know how many of you are in that boat. Uh, I grew up regular Baptist. Uh, We put the fun in fundamentalism. And uh, the Bible was dull. Uh, My prayers hit the ceiling, they bounced back, and there was a gaping hole in my heart. And I was trying to fill it with uh, pleasure and uh, every entertainment possible, uh, every achievement possible, and I could do nothing to fill that hole. And in the middle of all this pursuit of the American dream, Paul version, God kept calling me, calling me. Kind of like my son, come, I have something better for you. Not interested. I have something better for you. Not interested. 
I wanted freedom, but the truth is I was, the way that I was behaving was leading to slavery. Interestingly enough, a, a mentor of mine, well, a future mentor of mine, uh, looked at me, watched the way I was living, and said, you're wasting your life. I said, you're completely wrong, and ignored him, but he just kept pursuing me, pursuing me, pursuing me, kind of like the, just the hands and feet of Jesus rem, reminding me that God himself was pursuing me. And there was a moment in eastern Washington at a, at a camp where God said, follow me, and I finally just put down my defenses and said yes. And it was like God's love completely enveloped me, just like a warm blanket. And in the weeks that followed, the Bible came alive, and obedience became beautiful, not slavery. And as I began to pray, I I saw God begin to directly answer prayers. I began to see others follow Jesus as I told them what had happened to me. And it turns out that the booming voice wasn't the voice of an evangelist who could speak for five city blocks. The booming voice was God. And it turns out that revival spreads from person to person to person and not just in huge crowds, but simply as the word passes from one person to another. And it turns out that this fire that God wants us to not quench is a refining fire, not a destructive fire. It's the fire like a phoenix that, that ends up with renewed life and resurrection. And I think the question for us is, does it still happen today? I think the reason that I thought of this, this sermon that I've given a couple times this year is in February, something called Asbury happened. I don't know if you, any of you follow that, hear that. I'm seeing some, some heads nodding, which I'm always encouraged to get any sort of response from any sort of audience in the Seattle area. Um, I used to hope for amens, but I've given up on that. But uh, this revival began at a chapel service on February 8th of this year. Uh, Zach Merkrebs was the assistant soccer coach at Asbury, and he was also, he gave all sorts of other, had all sorts of responsibilities. Uh, But he went into chapel that day and spoke on love in action in Romans 12. And he started the talk and he said, look, I'm not here to entertain you today, students. He said, I don't want you to focus on me, I want you to focus on God. I want you to focus on Jesus. And then he says, and I quote, I hope you guys forget me, but anything from the Holy Spirit and from God's word, I just pray that it would find fertile ground in your hearts and produce fruit. And then he went on for his sermon, and he talked to them about just how how painful church hurt was, and how just the power of the gospel and the power of love And then he gave an invitation at the end of the service, and absolutely no one came forward. Then at the end end of that, uh, he texted his wife, and he says, this is how he describes his sermon. He says, latest stinker, I'll be home soon. And if you've ever spoken in front of people, you just know that, just that, man, that just didn't turn out like I wanted. It fell absolutely flat. I'm actually embarrassed and wish I hadn't even talked. Uh, So he goes home. And um, 
after the, after the service, there was a gospel trio that sang. They released everyone, but 18 or 19 people stayed. And they sat in several clusters, and they prayed, uh, some along the wall, some in their seats, a few on the floor in the aisle, a few at the foot of the stage. They kept praying. Zeke Atha, a junior, told a documentarian, you know it's a revival when you start having documentarians, a few days later that he was one of the ones that remained in the chapel. He said he left with an hour to go to a class, but then when he got out, he heard singing, and he said, okay, that's weird, and he goes back into the chapel, and what he finds is, what he finds is an unmistakable, indescribable peace in that room. And he, what he witnesses as he comes back into the chapel service is just this growing crowd of people that are just coming in and praying. And then they, then he sprints from room to room, from building to building the campus and just say, everyone, revival is happening. And if you watch the news reports, you just saw how it just kept going, just this, this prayer and this surrender and this responding to the invitation of the Spirit. So, brothers and sisters, could revival happen here in Seattle? My thought, yes, good answer. Good answer. I think revival, revival begins, brothers and sisters, when we understand what the gospel is. And I'll just read, I'm winding down here, but I'm going to read this simple description of it from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. It says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. The gospel is not an invitation to become part of a social club. The gospel is not an invitation to live a moralistic life. The gospel is an invitation to have a relationship with God. And that's all a revival is, is just people saying yes to that invitation to a life with God. And as a messenger of God, I just encourage you this morning, turn away from your idols and return to your creator. Stop putting your hope in the American dream. Stop putting your hope in the goals that society has for you. Stop putting your hope in the goals of somehow, you know, maybe someday truly understanding yourself and, and everything you've meant to do. Instead, put your hope in who God is and everything that he's done for you. Our Father in heaven, we praise you. God, you have given us your best. You sent Jesus for us. Father, so often we just have to confess that we give you lip service and then we deliberately walk away. Father, collectively today we repent of our sins and once again offer our worship. Father, sincerely thank you for Jesus who took our sin, who took our shame, who took our judgment, and in in this beautiful trade, gives us adoption, complete cleansing of sin, complete righteousness, and an inheritance beyond imagination. Father, thank you. 
God, help us to hear and heed your invitation. Help us to follow right behind Jesus as he leads. Help us to listen and obey the Holy Spirit. Father, revive us. Amen. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching to a time of response. While we recognize it may be hard to capture that as you listen online, we encourage you to take a moment to reflect on and respond to what the Spirit might be telling you in response to what you've heard. For more resources and to find out how you can join with us on Gathering on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. And as we say each week, Christ is all and we are His.